you'll please take your Bibles and turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And as you're turning to 2 Thessalonians, uh, have a story to tell. It, it is a true story. So living up in the Chattanooga area, there's a, in a place called the Ocoee River, and it's known for its whitewater rafting. And in this whitewater rafting area, uh, the Tennessee Valley Authority, the TVA, opens dam number two uh, to create the rapids that happen. So if you're the first trip up um, going, you're kind of looking down at the rapids and you're seeing that it's pretty dry. It's um, it's a very uh, low uh, riverbed kind of thing. And so they open this dam and they create a class five rapid at the dam. And then there's class four and class three rapids uh, that happen on the the thing. And so it's 4.6 miles with 17 class rapids. Okay. So within that course of five miles, you go through those 17 rapids. Well, there's a a time where they, they kind of train you. Okay. So for about 15 minutes, um, they give you this training. They tell you uh, to take your paddle and you have a T-grip on top of your paddle. And they say, put your hand over the T-grip because if you hit a rock or something like that and it bounces off, it can knock the teeth out of the person next to you. They tell you how to wear your helmet. They tell you how to keep your life jacket on. They tell you how to do a bicycle thing if you get knocked out of the raft kind of a thing. So they give you this 15-minute training. They said, okay, now you're ready to go on this class four and three rapids. And so they drive you up to the very beginning. So I went on this, I, I had taken a class, right water rafting traffic for Covenant College. I had uh, taken the youth groups on multiple traps, uh, river traps and uh, trips, sorry. Um, and so we have this understanding that again, I kind of know what's coming. And uh, so it's usually families that are there or it's youth groups. So they, they tended to start everybody in this uh, little eddy. A, and then you hit a class three rapid right at the beginning called Grumpy. And that's the first rapid. Well, I went with a singles group. And so we have these uh, some big guys and some uh, fit women that are going on it. And so our guide um, decides that what he wants to do is he doesn't want to go in the class three rapid. He wants to go in the class four rapid to begin with. Now, this seemed a little odd, but hey, he's the river guide. So we start to proceed to this class four rapid, and it's a, it's a hydraulic, which means that it keeps turning within the rocks, okay? And so what happens, and unbeknownst to our guide, um, for three of the people on the trip, that was their first trip on a rapid. One couldn't even swim. So we hit this rapid, this class four rapid, and the boat quickly pitches to one side. And all of a sudden, everybody that was on that side is now in the water. So one is heading down the river, coming out of this class four rapid. One of our people, the girl who couldn't swim, is now crying in the middle of the boat, hanging on. Okay, And one of our guys is literally under the boat. And you can hear his helmet being spun around on the bottom of the boat. So we try to take the time. We recollect ourselves. Thankfully to my naval training, I'm able to give him a heave-ho, pull him by his life jacket so he's on top of me. And so we're sitting in the boat. Now, we kind of get settled. Only to hear things are about to get worse. Because what had happened is as we hit the hydraulic, the front of the boat went down, which means what to the back of the boat? It goes up. And that's where our guide sat. (laughs) 
And so our guide on the very first rapid was catapulted out of the boat. And so here we are now three people in this boat in this class four rapid and we have to get down another two class three rapids by ourselves. And now guides on other boats are saying, you don't have a guide, get to the side of the river. And we're looking at them going, no, duh. We know we don't have a guide. We're trying to get to the side of the river, but we're in class three rapids. Now, the only thing that's there to save you is a person on the side of the river who has a bag full of rope and he throws it at your head. And you're supposed to grab onto it. And then what they do is they kind of drag you in to the shore as you go through it. Okay? So that was our day of singles ministry on the Ocoee River. So here it is. We're shell-shocked. We're off the side. People are bloodied. Everybody's scared now. Do we trust our guide? Because the reality is we have 15 more rapids to go because there's no getting off the river until you get to the end. Now, the people that were there (laughs) were a little overwhelmed and shaken, to say the least. Why do I tell you that story? Because I think that's what Paul is trying to tell the Thessalonians here in chapter 2. He's just gone through and said, you just went through some serious trials and tribulations. And I'm telling you, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. It's not going to get better. You think that Jesus has already come back because you've gone through these hard times. I'm telling you, there's worse times coming. So you better hang on. So this is where we find the scenario. And again, remember, we we learned last week that Paul was praying for them. There's a reason why Paul's praying for them, because he knows things are about to get worse for the Thessalonians. So look at chapter 2, beginning of verse 1. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, do not be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. So let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. For it is the son of destruction. And he opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. So do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things and you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time for their mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he's out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. For the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, this is a hard passage, Lord. We struggle to understand who is this man of lawlessness. We struggle to understand who is the one who restrains and how he restrains. 
And Lord, I think if we're honest, a lot of times it's, it's easy to become overwhelmed and distraught by looking at the things that are wrong, the things that are evil. And yet you remind us very clearly that it's Jesus who even by the breath, the breath of his mouth, the spirit that comes forth will destroy him. And so, Father, truly give us eyes to see and a heart to understand as we come and study your word today. Open our eyes and our hearts so that we look more like Jesus than when we came. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So the first thing we're going to look at is do not be deceived is what the Apostle Paul tells him. Now, the first thing he says is now remember in regards to the second coming, remember the teaching that I've already given you. And so that's the first letter he told him. Jesus hasn't come back yet. And he said, here's what it's going to look like. It's going to be a thing that's universal. You're going to know when Jesus comes back. It's not going to be hidden. It's not going to be a silent thing. You're going to know. And when Jesus comes back, you need to be ready. And so Paul said, I- I've already told you this. And let- so let me remind you of that teaching that again, Jesus is coming back, but it's not going to be a quiet thing. But then he also does, he wants to clear up their confusion because again, what has happened is these people in Thessalonica have heard these different things that are going on. And so they're confused because again, they've been told, hey, you went through these trials and tribulations. And because you went through these trials and tribulations, Jesus has probably come back. And you know what? You're left behind. So here are these people who are young in the faith who think they're doing what they're supposed to do, who are living their lives for Christ, and they're struggling in the midst of it, and now are scared. Because now they think that Jesus has gone without them. And so they're left, and they're going to be left for this hard, wretched time. And so Paul says, let me clear up your confusion. Because one of the big things that we have to understand, and again, this is true for anything, we all have cultural views of death. Every society around the world views death a little bit different. And so for the Gentiles, which is pretty much this church here in Thessalonica, they really didn't understand. They were never taught about a bodily resurrection. So here they're thinking, they're still in their bodies. Jesus has come back. They're left behind. And so they're freaked out. And so Paul comes as a pastor and says, let me inform your thinking and your beliefs. And so that's the first thing that he does. And see, what he says is, do not be deceived. And he says this because what's happening is there's propaganda going out. And we all understand what propaganda is. Again, it can be a good thing. You can have good propaganda. But for most times, propaganda is always trying for you to lose hope, to lose faith. And it happens with anything. As I was doing the study, there was a 1967-68 photo of Bear Bryant who was, uh, when he goes to the national championship game against Nebraska, there was a big storm, and it looks like Bear Bryant is walking on water. And so they use that. It's on postcards all over. They did that so they could help destroy the, the, the psyche of Nebraska. We know that in, in when uh, things happen in Vietnam, Hannah O'Hanna, every day getting on the radio, go home. You're not needed here. You're going to lose. Think about your families back home. They're being destroyed. Nobody's going to care about you. We see and are going to see for a full year propaganda on our televisions for the presidential campaigns. And it's there to continually beat down the opposing side. Lose hope. Lose faith. 
And so this is what's happening to the Thessalonians. And they're saying, hey, even if you see a spirit or someone comes with a spoken word to talk to you, or even if you find a letter that seems to be stolen identity of us, don't listen. Don't be deceived because I, Paul, give you a writing in my own hand. So understand the truth. That's where he tells us, understand the truth. Because the reality is God has not left us unarmed. He's given to us worship and fellowship. We are to be here as iron sharpens iron. We're to be encouraging one another. We're supposed to be talking through things with one another. Plus, we have the truth of what God tells us. God is always faithful. God is always true. God is always trustworthy. And so we go back to the truth of who God is, but we also go back to the truth of Scripture. That's why he wrote it to us. That's why he gave us Jesus as the word. That's why he gave to us prophets. He gives to us his truth. And so the reality is this place more than any other place should be a place where we can come and ask hard questions. Christians should never shy away from things we don't understand. We go to the Bible. And where the Bible is clear, we're clear. Where the Bible isn't clear, then we have some leeway. So there's this understanding that, again, we should be looking to say, how do we not be deceived? And so what he says is, hey, don't be deceived by these other things. Go back to the truth. Then stand firm. He says, don't be shaken. Stand firm to the things because there are two very specific things that are going to happen. The first, he says, is look to the signs. And those signs are very specific. There's going to be a great apostasy. And then the man of lawlessness is going to be revealed. So he says, these things have to happen before Jesus returns. So be on the lookout for these things. And if these things haven't occurred, then Jesus hasn't come back. But be ready. The big one is still to come. It's just like with, with people who, you know, when we hear about hurricanes and stuff like that, and we hear, oh, it's going to be a, a class one hurricane. <sighs> We're staying home. Who cares? Class two, not a big deal. You know, we'll bring in the stuff so it doesn't fly around. Class three, we start going, uh, I don't know. Are you going to leave? Maybe not. I don't know. Class four, you've ever ridden through a class four hurricane. You start saying, I'm not going to do that again. It's the same with people in regards to shocks with earthquakes. A minor one hits, another one hits, aftershocks, but they always say, there's still the big one to come. And when the big one hits, it doesn't matter how, how much time and how much effort that you've put into that house, it's not going to stand. So Paul is warning the Thessalonians and he's warning us. Cause he's, this hasn't happened yet, guys. The church is still growing. The spirit is still moving. So the Antichrist isn't here. So the reality is we still have to look for these signs. And so as we look for the signs, we need to make sure that we're not deceived. Because when deception comes, and listen, it's going to be a big deal. And we know that because it says here in regards to the man of lawlessness, which again is something that we're not super clear on. Now, there's been pages upon pages, books upon books that have been written. Now, let me just give you the common views, 
the common views. Okay, So people have thought that the man of lawlessness were the Roman emperors. They consider themselves to be gods. You had Nero who burned Christians for his parties. You had people who came in and put... Uh, tore down the altar to the Lord and put up an altar to Zeus and actually sacrificed pigs on the altar. I mean, anything that could have been offensive to the Jews, that was offensive. But then you get Constantine. Now, he's a Christian, so you can't keep saying the Roman emperors are bad people because now we have a Christian one. So now it's the Vandals. Then it goes through history, it becomes Muhammad. It goes through history, it becomes the Popes. Now it gets a little bit further, then you get Stalin, you get Hitler, you get Bin Laden, you have Barack Obama, you have our current president who is considered to be the Antichrist. Now all of that is to say, we don't know. But the reality is, there are multiple Antichrists. 1 John 2, verse 22 Who is the liar, but who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. So anybody who denies that Jesus is the Lord, the Son of God, the Savior of sinners, they are an Antichrist. And he is who denies the Father and the Son. So there are many Antichrists. But what this is talking about is the Antichrist. Now, who is that person going to be? I don't know. And everybody who tells you they do is lying. However, the scripture is very clear from Paul that we can have his characteristics. And there are ten of them. Okay, and I'm going to give you all ten. First of all, he will be a man. He's not a fictional thing. He will be a legitimate man. And he will be someone who is lawless. He's about anarchy. He's against the things of God. And therefore, he is an adversary of the people. He opposes God's people. He opposes things of God. Not only that, he's going to be self-exalting. So much so that he is going to demand to be worshipped. Now the reality is, is as he demands to be worshipped, it's going to happen in the temple. Now again, we're not exactly sure what that means. We don't know if there's going to be an actual temple. Is there going to be a rebuilding of the Jerusalem temple? Is it going to happen just with the Jewish people? We don't know. There are many people who think that the temple is a sign for the church. Now think about this, that the man who is the Antichrist would have so much power and so much sway that he becomes the head of the church around the world. Now if that doesn't scare you, and I think he's going to do it. Listen, there's the, the Star Wars Revenge of the Sith and Padme is in there and they're at the, they're in the Senate. And that she gives this quote, so this is how liberty dies, with thunderous applause. See, I think what's going to happen is this man of lawlessness is going to come in. And remember, we just read earlier, um, David read in the service, that Satan is an angel of light. People are going to be so deceived by this man 
that people within the church that you think, hey, these people are solid, are going to somehow think that he is the Messiah. He's not going to come like, it's not going to be the zombie apocalypse. It's not going to be scary. It's not going to be Satan in a red suit with a pick forge. It's not. He's going to be someone that you're going to like to be around. But he's going to come in such a way that he's going to set himself up. And the only thing that's keeping him right now is he is presently restrained. He's ready to go. But he's being presently restrained. Now, who is doing the presently restraining? We're not really sure. But he's presently restrained. But he's going to come back and he's going to be satanic. And only that, he's going to have the ability to do, according to the scriptures, wonders and signs. And by doing so, he will deceive the church. And again, we live in a day and age where there are people who would call themselves evangelicals who do not believe the virgin birth. People who do not believe in, in a sin nature. People who, who think that it's just about being a better person. It doesn't have anything to do with being saved by Jesus Christ. And so the reality is, is he will come and he will deceive Now, the reality for us is we have to remember what the Apostle Paul said. It is, this one is appointed for destruction. He's only going to have a short time to reign. But the reality is, is we have to remember and completely understand that there he is no match for Jesus. Because here is the reality. Again, the common views of who is going to restrain this person right now. It could be the government. It could be Michael the angel. It goes back to, to Daniel's time. It could be the church. Now, we can't even get the church right. So I don't think we're the one who's holding back the, the man of lawlessness. I believe it truly is God himself. By the power of the Holy Spirit. And as the power of the Holy Spirit is the one who controls, we have to remember and remind ourselves that God is sovereign. That he is in control. That no no matter, even if the wickedness is at its peak, it's still not outside of God's control. So even in the midst of that, we know what Satan's going to do. He says he wants us to come and worship the creation, not the creator. We always have to keep our eyes, that's why the scripture tells us, keep your eyes focused upon Christ. Because if you start to look at other things around you, of course you're going to start to be um, upset. Of course you're going to be scared. But when you look at Christ and him crucified, the scripture is very clear. He is no match. And Jesus, all he has to do is come and it's going to be total destruction. And he doesn't even have to pull out his sword. He doesn't have to bring an army. Jesus is going to look at this man and by the words of spirit that comes out from his mouth, he's going to utterly destroy him. (sighs) Done. And so for us as the church, that should be the thing that encourages us as we go forward. Will it get worse? Yes. It's going to get worse before it gets better. But the reality is Jesus wins. And so the question for us is where is our focus? Because we understand that Jesus prevails. So are we going to be afraid and shaken of this antichrist that is to come? Are we going to be like, what are we going to do? He's coming. He's going to do bad things. 
People are going to want to put us in prison and to kill us and all that kind of stuff. That's the worst they can do. Or do we look with hope and rejoice and stand firm because it's Christ. Christ is the one who wins. And as he wins, he prevails. He builds his church and he builds his kingdom. And he says the gates of hell cannot prevail. Satan doesn't win. Satan is God's Satan. So take courage. Do not be deceived. Stand firm in knowing that all the things that happen in your life, the things that are hard, the persecutions and afflictions, all those things, can they get worse? Yes. But ultimately, it does not defeat you. It can't destroy you. And it can't take away your your understanding and the understanding that there is a feast to come. Do you understand that, that this is great joy set before you? That Jesus Christ is saying, I want you to remember that I am coming back. And I'm coming back as the conquering king. And you know what? We're going to have party time. And you know what? Just so you know, I'm going to have your practice. Come and eat. Because when we eat with Jesus, it's going to be the wedding feast. So be encouraged, church. Even in the midst of persecution and affliction, stand firm. Jesus wins. Always has been the truth, is the truth, and will always be the truth. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that your word is encouraging to us, Lord, that you've given us to your to us, your word, you've given to us an understanding and a heart and a mind that comprehend the truths of Christianity. Lord, the good news of Jesus Christ, that the perfect man came and became a perfect sacrifice for us so that we might receive his righteousness, so that we might be called the sons and daughters of the king. And so, Father, we, we're not denying that things down here get, get messed up and they become overwhelming. So, Father, may we hear the encouragement from the Apostle Paul to stand firm, to remain faithful to the truths that you are a God who is always faithful and good, to know our Bibles so that we are never taken off guard or never without hope. Father, you are the answer to the woes of this world. And we know that you are the one who will come back, not as the lowly infant child, but as the conquering king. And Lord, we know that every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so, Father, as we come and celebrate, may you encourage us today, encourage us to look forward to that day when we have this meal anew with you in your Father's kingdom. And so, Father, truly nourish us with it now, for we pray this in Christ's name. And all God's people said, Amen.